Super Talk Mississippi media production. What if everyone was turning their head to look at you with a brand new Flowmaster exhaust system from Exhaust Pro in Macomb on Georgia Avenue? Cruise in style with Exhaust Pro of Macomb on Georgia Avenue. What's up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this latest Mailbag Friday edition of the Rebel Report podcast. The People's Holiday is back upon us. We've got, uh, we'll get to your questions. We've got some recruiting stuff. Clearly some Super Bowl talk. It feels like we've hold, held that in the chamber all week. Obviously kind of a weird week with the uh, Kobe Bryant news, which I think has probably affected the hype around it nationally. And Wednesday, we got into some baseball stuff. If you haven't listened to it yet, I had an interview with Aaron Fitt. Uh, about half an hour yesterday, we got into the SEC, Ole Miss, uh, right-handed heavy bullpen, what he expects from the freshman pitchers, all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, so I would encourage you to go listen to that. That's on yesterday's uh, podcast feed. So just, any anyway, obviously, same place you find the show um, if you need some extra rubber report in your life. What's up? Not a whole lot, man. Um Really looking forward to this Super Bowl, and I agree with you, though. Just kind of feels part of that's the new cycle, and, you know, maybe the brands as well. We've been so spoiled by brands in the Super Bowl that uh, maybe this one just doesn't do it. I mean, for those that are, you know, 40 and up, San Francisco is a big football brand because they used to win before you and I were born, but... um, Kind of subdued. It's still going to have 110 plus million people watch it, um, but it should be a really, really good game. I mean, something's yeah, got to give, that, right? San Francisco, the better defense. Kansas City, the better offense. That's the thing. It's like normally when you say the the brands, like when you mention the brands thing, normally most of the time that's accompanied by a kind of a bit of a subdued matchup because, like I mentioned on radio this week, you don't always get the best teams in the Super Bowl. That's kind of the beauty of the football playoffs. You have a team like the Tennessee Titans or something like that that kind of make their way through or get hot or you have a quarterback get hot, something like that. It's almost like a hot goaltender in the NHL and you get through. But, like, this is absolutely the best matchup you could have asked for. The only thing – it's weird because I think we got the two best teams in the NFL – you know, maybe I'll hear an argument for the Ravens, but the, 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 I think the Titans proved that to be a little bit gimmicky. So I think these are by far the two best teams. The, but we were kind it's of hard robbed to argue of that. The, yeah, we were kind of robbed of some conference championship matchups, though, right? Uh, Saints, Niners, and uh, Chiefs, Ravens, right? That's kind of the two heavyweights people wanted to see leading up to it. We didn't get that, but we ended up probably getting the two best teams. Like, if it had been Saints, Ravens, you could have made that argument as well. But you get my point. You got probably the two best teams in the NFL all year long. It's going to be a fantastic matchup. So we'll get into that in a second. We'll probably start with some questions. But, yeah, interesting week on uh, on that front. And then Yeah, man, and, I mean, you completely glossed over the big game this weekend. That's uh, John Zion going at it for the first time. How dare you? Oh, that's right. And you don't get, because of what happened in New York, you don't get Jaron Jackson Jr. versus Zion, which probably, if you're talking about just matchup on matchup, probably would have been a little more fascinating just because there's probably not a ton of situations Ja and Zion are guarding each other. But, Complete uh, bullshit that he got suspended for what he did in that altercation, by the way. But that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty cut and dry rule, right, in terms of like, I mean, the way the, from what I understand it, from what I read, if you leave the bench area to go engage in anything on the court, it's a one-game suspension. Like it's yeah. kind of like, but he test. didn't. 
but he didn't engage with it. It's the gray area, right? Because he did absolutely leave the bench and like ran down the baseline and like crossed underneath the hoop, but never actually got into it, right? If I remember correctly, but he he definitely left the bench and like ran in the direction of the fight. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, I don't a couple years ago, one of my first years covering baseball for Ole, uh, covering Ole Miss baseball. Oh, Ole Miss and Florida were playing a game, and like I think it was a year after Omaha, so Ole Miss wasn't very good, and they were playing Florida, and you had like a collision play at second or third base, and the two dudes got into it. I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Tate Blackman, but I could be wrong. But Sykes Orvis was on first base, and he took one step off the bag and was immediately ejected from the game. Like he was tr- before he could even try to go engage or break it up. Or whatever, like he took one step off the bag and the umpire tossed him. Like it's kind of just one of those arbitrary cut and dry things that uh, you're not just really getting around. So he should yeah. not have been ejected for that either. Yeah. There needs to like be some NBA, common sense applied in things like that. Yeah, I agree. So you got that going on this weekend too. We probably can get into the NBA All Star thing at the end because I do have some thoughts on Devin Booker and Russell Westbrook, but. Starting off, we have from D.D. Smith. I don't, uh, I don't know what this means, to be honest, so you might have to help me here. Here you go, guys. RB, who you got? I'm talking about a, a load RB, guys. Do you know what that means? I'm talking about a load RB, guys. RB, RB dot, dot, who dot, who you got? I'm talking Running about... back? A load running back? That's what I thought at first, but I don't understand the question. <laughs> <laughs> off to a roaring start yeah he says he's retired police, retired detective sergeant with the court the police department i appreciate you listening i just uh i maybe clarify i don't necessarily know what that means uh, I, I'll, I will do my best to take a stab here who takes the majority of the snaps at running back next year i'll go ely yeah it's gonna be ely and uh, the room's crowded and, and whatnot but that, that's the thing about Zach Evans is we've talked about it before. It, I mean, whatever. They don't need him. They, they really don't. But, yeah, it, he's going to take the majority of the carries and probably get spelled by Snoop Connor. I mean, I don't know if they're going to redshirt uh, the two freshmen they're bringing in, but that's a pretty solid one-two punch. But Ely is the one um, pretty significantly as well. Uh, I mean, those kids they got from out of the freshmen are pretty good too. The uh, kid from Columbia Bullock, and then what's I have the Florida kids escaping me for right Parrish. now. I can't. Pierce, yeah, those it seem to be two pretty guys, pretty good guys that they're high on. That like, like in a normal situation, may not necessarily need the red shirt. But to your point, they might just because you don't need them. They just don't, and you may not need them. I should say you may not, and you, you still get to play in four games, which there's a question about that. Later on, we'll get to, but that that helps a lot as well. So when you have SEMO, uh, I think that's who they play in week two, Southeast Missouri. Um, you, you can run Parrish out there and give him thirty carries if you want to, and preserve a red shirt. So yeah, it, I mean, they're in really good shape. As we talked about, I think two weeks ago, the offensive line's a mess, or at least a question mark. Um, but the skill positions on offense, I mean, you can win with. At least on paper, as far as like the kind of talent that you think that they are, maybe they translate, maybe they don't. I think the receiver group's a lot deeper in talent than people give it credit for. It just wasn't used appropriately last year for you to learn that. Um, but at running back and receiver and at quarterback, on paper, when you just look at the talent that they brought in, 
that's good enough to win games with. Depending on what Gregory and Miles Battle turn out to be, the two guys who were in the transfer portal are now out of the transfer portal. If they throw the ball with any sort of success next year, there's going to be some sort of think piece to be written about just crushing Rich Rodriguez. Because that's what I am fascinated by. Because you say they have talent at the skill positions. I don't really disagree with you at all. But like last year, it wasn't shown at all outside of Elijah Moore. It wasn't even really shown at tight end. And so I am interested to see what these bigger outside receivers look like. And so I, if, if, like, I'm, I'm interested to see who ends up kind of, uh, I guess, making, not making the cut, but who ends up kind of being one, like a big ball possession receiver on the outside, like whether it's Mingo, is it Drummond? Because you had some interesting pros, prospects last year. You just, they couldn't throw the ball. They didn't throw the ball conventionally when they did throw the ball. So you really was hard to gauge like receivers making progress or what they were as prospects or what kind of players they were going to become. It was almost impossible to tell. So that's probably a pretty interesting storyline to keep an eye on for next year. Uh, it's just kind of what the receivers actually look like because you, you didn't really have a clue in the roll left, throw it to the sideline, roll right, throw it to the sideline, plumbly take off of the middle offense. Uh, so I hope that answered your question, D.D. Smith. If it didn't, uh, <laughs> just uh, fire away next week. We got another one of these coming in seven days. Who I did see somebody tweet last night, by the way, the uh, a picture of a, a book that was written about Rich Rodriguez and the Michigan offense. Guess what the title is? Run, run, run. I don't know. <laughs> Three and out. Oh gosh! <laughs> and it's I a mean, it's a book about like how credit, successful the, the offense day, was in Michigan, but it's called Three and Out, written by John U. Bacon. I mean, to to be, give the guy credit, like back in the day, and to some degree, it all missed. It wasn't like that running stuff is effective. Like like the stuff they're doing at LSU, like there were certain games where I'm like, wow, this like this is pretty good stuff from a running wise, but the passing game particularly in the SEC, that crap just doesn't work. You have to be balanced. You have to be able to run the ball, and you have to be able to throw it. And if you're not a threat or either one, you're a toast. That's what I'm interested with the Mike Leach thing, and we don't really have to go into this right now, but like you do have to be able to run the ball with some conviction in the SEC. So I'm wondering – I'm not saying he can't do it, but I will wonder how he adjusts to that just because the, the Pac-12 type – like it was almost Rodriguez was the inverse Mike Leach in the sense that like, hey, this guy – basically doesn't have any interest in throwing it. That shit's not going to work against good teams. Whereas Leach is, hey, you better be able to run it because throwing it 25, I mean, you know, 55 times in a game to where like on second and eight when you need five yards to get into third and favorable, like the, the screen pass on the perimeter not always going to work if there's no threat to run. So I'm interested to see what that looks like. Who are uh, Todd is our golf guy here. He's going to make sure we talk golf and everyone. I don't mean that in a bad way. Who are you pulling for in the 2020 Masters? Bill Mickelson. That would be cool. If I'm pulling for Phil at this point, though, I want I would like him to get a U.S. Open. I, I enjoy – I've gone – like when I was – Ricky Fowler came up and was a popular when I was playing like junior golf. And so it was interesting. Like the kids, you know, he, he had wore like the flashy attire and it was kind of like the douchey Pooba bike or stuff. He really has kind of toned that down. He's not wearing like orange highlighter type stuff as much anymore with the long hair. It worked for him. But it was funny playing junior golf because you'd see what other kids try to pull it off. So, like, like I, I don't know how to say this, but, like, when you're at a junior golf tournament and this kid's got this baby blue Ricky Powder, like Ricky Fowler, get up on, it probably says a lot about who you're about to play with for the next five hours. But 
Probably big. I've gone back and forth on this a few times. I really like Ricky Fowler, and I hope he gets a major. I, I think he's a good dude. I think he means well. And I, uh, I I think he's a good player that's had a little bit of poor luck in majors. He's come really close. So I'll uh, I'll go that for one because uh, I, I, I would enjoy seeing him get one. And then, obviously, a Tiger repeat would be sick. That would be sick. And it, it looks like he's playing well enough. I mean, God knows. We're already seeing the commercials, and the tournament's not for three months. But, I mean, he's in a form right now where you think he could probably do it. I love the Masters commercials because it's like it, I I know what ESPN's trying to do. They're trying to be like tell you springs around the corner. It's supposed to be really positive and jovial, and it is like seeing the cool colors of the grass and the the flowers and stuff at Augusta because it looks so pleasant. But my favorite part about it is, and I think Tom Rinaldi is really talented. Is Tom Rinaldi like knows his shtick now and just so overdoes it on those Masters commercials? Because if you actually write down the words he says on those masters commercials none of it makes any damn sense but it sounds really cool and sounds really (laughs) awesome and so like he had some shit last year it was like the peace around the pressure and stuff like that it's like what what are you even saying it's like just kind of nonsense but it sounds cool because it's his voice and like it all sounds they're very like appeasing words to hear so that's my favorite part of the masters commercials i'm trying to think who else i don't know uh as much as i used to like root against dominance like in like, I remember at the tail end of Tiger, like the Rocco Mediate deal at Torrey Pines in 08, I would always, like, root against – because, like, when you're a kid, you always root against the big bad, like, dynasty or the guy, the favorite or whatever. But uh, as I've gotten older, I kind of like Brooks dominating golf. I I, I I found myself rooting for him to win whatever major he's in contention in, which lately that's been literally everyone. So, like, I wouldn't mind seeing him win again. Him being – because – You've had all these false runs, right? Like uh, golf's been searching for the next Tiger Woods for a decade. That's really just what people who like barely follow golf say and say golf is dying without Tiger say. But you've had kind of these. And it's really runs. not, by the way. I mean, yes, no, it's, it's ratings fine. aren't as good as when he was dominating the sport, but they're still really strong. No kidding. Breaking news: golf is a niche sport. Imagine that. Yeah, and people try not to. It it may not have been quite as niche. When Tiger was doing things that have never been done in the game before, but aside from that, like, like no shit, man, it's a niche sport. Like, I, I don't want to hear Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless on first take talk golf. Like, it's just kind of the way things are. But you did have kind of these faux runs, right? Like, you had the cool year, year and a half stretch with Ricky, I uh, not Ricky, um, with uh, Spieth. Before that, you had Rory. And then, like, they won a couple, and you're like, oh, here they come. Like, this is the next run. This is the next big thing. And it never really happened. Kepka's really actually the closest thing we've had to that. Because this is like a two-and-a-half-year stretch of just brilliance. And I, I do wonder how long that's going to continue. Man, it, and I don't buy this. And we've talked about this before, too. I don't buy that he never practices or, or doesn't care about the sport the way that that vibe he gives off. I mean, you remember the part of my take interview. I don't even remember what happened in uh, four of those holes because I just was so bored. I don't buy that fully because you're not as good as he is without working your ass off. I mean, I know there's some natural talent there. I think it's all part of his this chip on his shoulder that he's got that makes him so good that drives him. I agree and disagree at the same time in the sense that I don't really disagree. I think you hit it with the I think there's probably he has a just a a, an infuriating amount of raw talent. 
and clearly he works his ass off. Nobody plays on the PGA Tour unless you dedicate your entire life to getting there. It's it's incredibly hard. I would actually say golf is one of the more underrated hard sports up there with baseball and some Dude, no way. Too. I could practice for 12 hours a day and make the tour no problem. Yeah, it's like you have hundreds of thousands and thousands of dudes that do all do that and dedicate their lives to it and just never catch the right break in Q school or never be able to make enough cuts on the web tour or never make enough cuts to keep their tour card. Anyway, it's incredibly yeah, difficult. There, man, there was a guy at, a, at our club growing up that played at Clemson and, and was like, didn't just like make the roster at Clemson, like was in their starting five, if you want to call it that, and played in tournaments at Clemson. And this was when they were just churning out pros like crazy. Man, he never got out of the mini tours when he was done. I mean, th- this dude was an elite college golfer at a program that was churning out pros like crazy, and he couldn't get out of the mini tours. Yeah, and anyone that's that plays golf and has played with some dude that's like way better than them and like flirted with college or pro golf knows exactly what you're talking about right now. We're like, this guy's sick and still couldn't cut it on tour type of deal. But uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right because I've had a couple of those as well where I've played with a couple of guys that have like. You know, kind of had a cup of tea or flirted with it, and it's like this. This guy's insane. How in the world do you not make it? But point being, I do think there is. I do kind of believe it when he says he doesn't give a shit about a lot of things because if you look at his, uh, like, he has the strangest resume of all time because I don't have it in front of me off the top of my head, but he has like eight or like eight career wins and like four of them are majors. Like he 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 doesn't perform very well in like the Nissan open and stuff like that. It honestly cracks me up because it's just like not an important enough tournament to him. That's I kind of dig that. I used to not like it and thought he was boring, but I kind of find that I don't care thing hilarious. It is pretty good. Yeah, he is uh, quite good. Who is And, who then, is and then getting in battles with Bryson DeChambeau, I mean, I can't decide if that was friendly or not because I know they had, I mean, they butted heads when DeChambeau yelled at Kepka's caddy and then Kepka was like, all right, screw you. What did he say? He said, tell Brooks if he's got a problem with me, he can come say it to my face. And Brooks was like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, don't talk to my caddy. The, uh, but I, I can't uh, decide if the, the trophy flex was like they've made up for it and they're kind of buddies now and now they're just having fun. Because that's not something you do to somebody you truly don't like. I, uh, I, I could be wrong about this. This is just a guess. But I bet. It is not friendly. I bet deep down they each kind of bother each other, but they both respect each other enough, and they both know this kind of tamed UFC-style trash talk back and forth is kind of like good for headlines and promoting both each other and the like game of golf. Yeah, so they but like I bet deep each other down they, on the surface, but Brooks is really like, I hate that asshole. Yeah, I was about to say, they talk mad shit about each other behind each other's backs. <laughs> that's probably what I'm guessing here. So that's uh, oh, I'm looking forward to the golf. Masters. 69 days until the Masters. Hell yeah, that was a great time to ask that question then. Good job, Todd. Who is more likely to have a bigger role on the baseball team this year, Ely or Plumley? <clears throat> this is one of those questions that it's harder, it's a little more difficult to answer, but there's a safer choice, but that could also be proven wrong two weeks into the season because if Ely doesn't like, if Ely doesn't end up playing very much, if he do, loses one of those out, if he loses the outfield spot, I think Plumlee is more apt to be a pinch runner, utility type of guy that you use on the base pass, steal bases, maybe play him in defensive situations late in games type of deal. But at the same time, I think Ely has a better shot to contribute in the outfield. So I'm going to say Ely, but if Ely kind of gets squeezed out of outfield spots for other guys, uh, it'd probably end up being Plumlee. 
So this isn't fair, but whatever. Um, all those people that every week would tell me that no, Plumley doesn't need to, and I didn't almost. Okay, so this season on the Sunday show, I, I mean, I spent weeks talking about if if they really want Plumley to be the quarterback, he needs to make a decision on what sport because playing baseball, he's not good enough at quarterback to play both. Um, he, he's got to pick one, and. The kid can do whatever he wants. People always get mad when you say something like that. Well, oh, I think the decision's his and his alone. Yeah, no shit it is. I, I mean, he's not actually listening to me. It's just my opinion on it. Like, that's what I get paid to do is give an opinion on a sports topic. Like, sorry, you get butthurt about that. But anyway, um, people would always come back at me like, well, he shouldn't stop baseball because he's a future first rounder that's going to start this year. So that doesn't appear to be accurate, does it? Well, uh, that's just them, I guess, confusing Ely with Plumley because I don't. There's never really been a time where Plumley was a really like high draftable prospect. There's a difference between being draftable in the MLB draft and being a high draft prospect. That's never really been the case. Ely at one time was a projected first round pick, and Ely's very toolsy, though his uh, though he's a bit of a uh, he's a bit of a not dying breed. I don't want to say that. He, he, he plays a lot of defense, and he hits to the gaps from what I understand. I think he can drive the ball out of the ballpark, but he's not your average. He's not your run-of-the-mill you know, corner outfielder, center fielder, whatever, power bat. And so that, that'll that work in college. I'm just saying from a pro prospect type of deal, I'm interested to see what he looks like in three years. But So I, I'm going to say he definitely has a better chance to contribute on baseball this year than Plumlee. But again, like I said, the inverse of that, I think the most likely case, if it's if, if it's not what I'm saying, is Ely gets squeezed out of one of those outfield spots, just kind of doesn't find enough playing times because there's only a certain amount of games, only a certain amount of starts. I think Plumley is an interesting piece to use off the bench because, again, as we mentioned a couple times, and we mentioned on the show yesterday with Aaron Fitt, uh, Ole Miss does have a great deal of speed and athleticism this year. And if they struggle to hit the ball and if they struggle to hit for power, it will be interesting to see how they kind of uh, supplement that with, with some stuff on the base path. Like, basically, uh, like, will we see mad scientist Mike Bianco this year? Uh, who's to say? Do you Let's think see. that the end of last season was a flash in the pan or his approach moving forward? I think it depends on the team. Uh, I, I mean, like going forward, say this team, I don't necessarily think this will be the case. Say this team just tears through the SEC, say they're, I don't know, you know national seed, they're hosting, they're playing at home until they get to Omaha, unless they lose, obviously. Say that's one of those cases, 2018 again. Again, I don't see that happening. That's just hypothetical for the argument. Do I think he will more take into account what happened last year as opposed to what's happened previous in his career where his team's playing tight? Yes, Absolutely. If the team stinks and they're playing a road series in late April to improve their RPI to try to get an at to get an at large berth and sneak in a regional, do I think he's going to be all happy, happy go lovey and loosey goosey? Probably not. So I think it kind of depends on where the team's at. But uh, I, I just I have a hard time saying Mike Bianco didn't learn anything from last year because you know, if he didn't, that's going to eventually seal his fate, in my opinion, because I think he should have. And, and I think it did. Yeah. And, and isn't this team the perfect team to be real loose with, though? Because, I mean, if fans expect Omaha or something like that, I mean, God bless you. I mean, they can make it there, absolutely, because there's enough talent. But 
this season should be one of minimal expectations. I mean, they, they lose a bunch of guys. There's a bunch of new faces, uh, young, albeit talented pitching staff. Although that's, I mean, that's the strength of the team, right? Is they have some guys that have pitched at a high level before, but still there's so many new pieces and so much youth that this team should not have any expectations. And when that is the case, shouldn't you be loose and like try some stuff or be more relaxed because there's no pressure to win right now, even though, Maybe some fans think that there should be. I don't think that there should be. It's a weird situation to be in because you did lose a lot from last year. You're not necessarily expected to be as good as last year. You're projected sixth in the West. But the other side of this coin is you're a top 25 team. If you're a top 25 team, that means you're in the mix to go to Omaha. And honestly, this is probably – this gets back into the – to the not argument, to the point that Colin and I actually tried to make a bunch last year. And I think we did the same thing on the radio show – you know, in a way, Mike can kind of, uh, in my opinion, Mike can erase the, or he can ease the biggest sore on his coaching resume with this team is, and you see this with Mississippi State a lot. States, like, when State has some bad teams occasionally, like, you know, a couple of years ago when they just finished last in the SEC, but State also has some teams that are kind of middling around for some of the, and maybe not the most talented and, you know, in the middle of the pack of the SEC for a lot of the year, and then just launches in in May and they can go into another regional and win and then win a super and go to Omaha and make Omaha or make deep runs when they're not a national seat. State has done a fantastic job of 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 doing that towards Mike's in all of his years. I think super regionals aside, all bad luck, all of that, I think the biggest indictment on him is he's never taken a two seed and won a regional somewhere, never gone anywhere on the road and made it through a regional in all of his years of coaching here. So in a way, like this might be the perfect team to kind of, uh, kind of, I guess, not make amends for that, but to kind of change the narrative when it comes to that, because this is a top twenty-five team with some talent, and if you're going to be an elite level coach, eventually you got to do things like that. You got to go to Raleigh, North Carolina, as a two seed, and kind of have enough talent and get through a regional and play for a super or something like that. Like exceed expectations of your team, I guess is what I'm saying. If that makes sense, he's done it before in other forms. That 16 team didn't really have much business hosting a regional with Woodman and all them where they got knocked out by Tulane at home. They went two and through. They had the four mm-hmm. seed Utah. Like he's done that to some degree and done good coaching jobs to where they back into the host and stuff. But like you know, I think he needs to go on the road and upset someone somewhere or do something like that. And maybe this is the team to do it. Who knows? Yeah, maybe so. They pitch it well enough or should. Yeah, absolutely, and that can get you through a regional. They have the pitching to get through a regional if they stay healthy. Could you score two points and a half? Oh, I saw this. This is bad. Uh, I think we actually had a question about this later, so we can go ahead and get to it now. Did you see the basketball score last night? Yeah, yeah, I did, man. Um, And so I did see a few people, not many, because it's not on the radar at Ole Miss, but like – Ask the question and wonder why and actually be, like, mad that they were beat like that last night. And for starters, she took over a program that was in crater. Uh, A bunch of players transferred out because of the way things ended with the previous coach. Uh, She's had to recruit her way out of it. The team uh, way overperformed expectations a year ago. They were competitive enough and were making progress. And then going into this season – um, one of the recruits that uh, she was expected to rely on heavily, if I understand it correctly, uh, didn't qualify. And then another key player 
got injured and they've battled injuries so much that they are at times playing a, they had a manager. They leave the team too, I think. Yeah, and yes, they did. Who's at Mississippi State now? Um, so if Vic Schaefer at Mississippi State wants her to play there, she can play. And they're giving minutes to a student manager. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, there's not a whole lot you can do, from my understanding. She's and got it, a good South Carolina is the number one team in the country on top of all of that. I do feel bad for Coach Yo. I don't know much about uh, – I don't really – I don't pretend to know her. I don't know much about their program. But from the, the understanding that I get is that this year was probably not – originally supposed to be this bad but given what they've dealt with it's just not really much you can do and next year is supposed to win their kind of turn it so that's uh they have a top 10 class coming in a mcdonald's all-american she seems like a good coach and she's a very charismatic woman she seems you know people uh, at least around the sec and i know sometimes talk can be cheap rate seem to rave about her so i from what i understand you know this is just kind of a product of uh, the program bottoming out, and apparently it's supposed to get better next year. So that's about all I uh, got on that. We need to take a break real quick, tell you to go by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We've got Greg's picks coming in a minute. I am traveling this weekend. I think Borky's actually out of town this weekend too. So we're on the Skype machine, and I couldn't uh, couldn't connect to Greg this time. But I do have his pick, but go by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We had a couple listeners last week say they got the ribeye sausage, the Swayze sausage, and a couple of the uh, a couple of the Lane Kiffin specials. They said it was fantastic. Go see him. Super Bowl Sunday. Go throw something on the grill. Let Greg help you decide. They've got daily specials, plate lunches. He feeds the baseball team. He's got something always good cooking back there. Always cool different kinds of sausages. Game packs for baseball season. He's got it all over there. Go see Greg. Appreciate him sponsoring the show. And uh, thank him for making you all of the money that he has over the last couple of years. Uh, and over the last couple of months on his picks. So we've got his picks coming, so stay tuned. Uh, don't shut off the podcast because you're going to get free money for Greg's Super Bowl picks. So we got that coming in a second. So uh, let's see what the next question is. Oh, I kind of like this one. Well, actually, we had one that says, why does it burn when I pee? And I answered him already. I said, wrong podcast, man. Uh, Bree and <laughs> Tyree or Stefan Moody? Moody? Interesting. Yeah, I don't think it's much of a debate. Not really a knock on uh, Tyree, but Moody was an incredible athlete. Probably not quite as good of a pure shooter, but it's really not enough to knock Moody for it in terms of like comparing he and Tyree. And Moody did a lot more on the defensive end. I haven't seen – I need to go watch – like, sometimes they'll post professional highlights of players that go play overseas and stuff. But, like, watching Moody jump was a lot of fun, and you kind of forget the bounce that he has if you haven't seen it in a while. That man could get up. It was uh, – I mean, what was the joke, right? He was the jersey number 42 because that was what his vertical was. And it, depending on the announcer crew, he went from anywhere to a 38-inch vertical to a 48-inch vertical, just depending on – uh, who was calling the game that night. He was remarkable, man. And uh, if if he didn't get cramps in Lexington, they would have beaten Kentucky that night as well. Uh, I mean, he was he was God, able to might, put— They almost had him in regulation if, Jummer, if Summers doesn't dribble into that trap at half court without a minute left. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he just was more, a more complete player and uh, a little bit more consistent as well. I'm about to send you something right now as you're recording. I literally just put Stefan Moody into Twitter, and there's some uh, looks like some sort of European dunk contest going on. 
And just watching him go up is insane. It literally looks like he's floating. And I know people say that about athletes a lot, but like him getting up and really getting up is is insane. Uh, so I, I just sent that to you. It's, it's ridiculous. He almost hit his head on the rim jumping over this dude. There's also some weird mascots going on here. I don't really know what these uh these people are. Is that a panda? I think it's yellow. I don't know. Anyway. That's Europe, uh, man. They, they they have mascots that I mean, very similar to Ole Miss of mascots that don't exactly apply to uh, the the entity at hand. He got six tens from the judges, whatever. Uh, so I don't think he can go any higher than that. Are you watching this? Uh, it has not terrible come in podcasting. Yet. Where did you send it? Oh, uh, it's probably I, my Wi-Fi in this place. I'm at my parents' house in Ridgeland because I'm going to Fort Worth this weekend. Anyway, doesn't matter. We'll watch it later. But he, uh, I'll go Moody, uh, even though. Bree and Tyree probably a little bit more refined and gifted on the offensive end. Uh, Moody, I think, brings more to your team overall. So I am going to take Mr. Moody on that one, which not necessarily not to Tyree. Not Let's, at all. I mean, Ole Miss has had just a series of, I mean, just really good guards, if you think about it. Over the last, here we go, just came in. But, I mean, over the last 10 years or so, starting with Chris Warren and now into Brian Tyree and everybody in between, uh, I mean, Jarvis Summers and uh, Moody, obviously, just a line of just really good, reliable scoring guards. It's been impressive. It really has. It's uh, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, that was kind of AK's thing for a while. He, got, he tasked Bill Armstrong, who's now at LSU, for your buddy Wiretap Will, to go find the most dynamic scorers in the country. And then after they graduated Marshall Henderson, he asked him to go find him another Marshall Henderson. And to be honest, he found him a more efficient Marshall Henderson and Stefan Moody. It was uh, Moody started his career at Dunk City, right? Florida Gulf Coast. It wasn't Gulf Coast. It was like FAU or FIU. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's no. unbelievable. <laughs> he hit his head on the rim. It's crazy. I will uh, for those of you listening and wondering what the hell I'm talking about, I'll uh, I'll hit a retweet on that one so you can go see it on my Twitter feed. If you are on the Twitter sphere, if you're not, I envy you. Let's see. Scenario here: time freezes and you're the only one not frozen. You have one hour to do what you want. What would you do? Well, I'd probably stay on brand. I'd go to a basketball court, and get a ladder, and dunk on someone's head because I've never done that before. I would go steal money. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. I'd probably rob a bank. Is yeah. it even really robbing a bank, though, if people are frozen? I don't think it counts. I think anything's fair game at that point. If everything's frozen, including, like, security footage, yeah, then I would just go to as many banks as humanly possible. Yeah, I mean, I think law. it's kind of like a purge deal. If people are – if everyone in the world's frozen except you, like, you don't you don't have to adhere to any laws. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, so uh, banks, for sure, because I'm that guy. I know nothing about the current state of the women's program. Oh, we just answered that. Uh, that was the question I was referring to. I'm not ignoring your question. Uh, that was uh, the one I was talking about. Yeah, but should she be on the hot seat? No, absolutely not. Nope. No. Not when you have a top 10 class coming in at McDonald's All-American and you are literally playing a student manager. Um, yeah, she's been dealt a really raw deal and um, needs a little bit more time. Let's see. What are your thoughts on the de- defense next season, especially a defensive line? Uh, I think they're pretty good in the front seven, the secondary, although they do have a lot to replace on the defensive line. I'll be interested to see how that turns out. I think they're pretty good at linebacker, and I don't really know what to expect from the secondary, to be honest. Uh, got some young guys that got some valuable experience last year. Uh, I mean, if you're talking if you're talking about from 2018, the talent level has increased substantially. 
But Mike McIntyre also did a good job as that talent pool was continuing to be replenished, getting the most out of those kids. A uh, little bit of a different defensive scheme. The 3-4 was kind of more geared toward guys having to cover less space. And when you're not as talented, when you have less responsibility and less space, that tends to lend itself well. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, they do have a lot to replace on the defensive line. Will they be able to get a pass rush? I guess it kind of depends on how some of these dudes develop, right? I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm trying so to think who you're looking at. Listed on the raw, I mean, the, you, you've got – Ladarius Cox returning, who's a, a just a massive human. He didn't play much last year. I mean, just because he was a freshman. Um, but they list him at 6'5", 331. He looks bigger than that. I mean, he's just an unbelievably massive human. Uh, Tisdale, Ryder Anderson, Bivens, Katie Hill, Hal Northern, and Sincere David. That is currently on their roster listed on the defensive line. Um, so a thin and inexperienced group. I, I'm, maybe there's more that I'm missing or that they don't have listed here, but um, and then, depending on how they use them, I guess, uh, they were listed as outside linebackers in the 3-4, but they're probably going back down to defensive end. So, like, Sam Williams and Chuck Wiley, for example. Um, and then Knox and Brandon Mack, who, are, I mean, people know who Luke Knox is because of his brother, mostly. And uh, I don't who believe Brandon Mack Who was a Brandon good Mack player last year. year. He sat out camp with a hamstring injury, and he kind of came out of nowhere as far as contributing. Yeah, it's just an athletic family. But uh, point being, it's a inexperienced group, to say the least. Uh, I mean, some guys with potential, but uh, that's where, if they're exploring the grad transfer market, I think that an offensive line, they, they need to find an immediate impact guy to alleviate some of the growing pains that they're going to have on the defensive line, especially, but on both sides. I agree. So, I don't know. It should be interesting. I don't know. I think LSU had a lineman enter the portal a couple days ago. I think Oklahoma had one enter the portal. There's there's going to be some guys out there, uh, maybe even after the spring as well. So when spring practice wraps up and these guys realize they're not going to start, they'll hit the portal. That's what's going to happen at the quarterback position at Ole Miss. They, they are not keeping Corral and Tisdale and Dent and Plumley and um, whatever, the, Renfro. That will not be your quarterback room uh, whatever day it is they play Baylor, in my opinion. They will lose at least one after spring's over. I think so too, because these kids want to play, and you're not. It's unrealistic to keep all three. The next question we got is early record prediction for basketball next year. Hey, for football, excuse me, football. Seven and five. I was going to say the exact same thing. I think they can get to seven wins. Probably six and six, a little more realistic, but I'll go seven and five. I mean, Baylor's seeing a transition now, and they lose, I believe, at least eight starters on defense, and a defense that wasn't very good. To begin with, a year ago, I mean, they have guaranteed wins over SEMO, Vanderbilt, UConn, Arkansas, and Georgia Southern. So there's five already. So now, if you want to get to seven, all you have to do is win two of Baylor, Auburn at home, kind of a stretch, Florida at home, kind of a stretch, at A&M, kind of a stretch, and Mississippi State. But those are five games where if you go two and three in those five, that's a seven-win season. Yeah, and it, they're going to need to back in it, obviously, because the front of that schedule, even with Baylor transition, kind of being in a transition, I think they'll probably stink. I could be wrong, but I think they're going to struggle because they so weren't too. even like recruiting that high of a level when they had Matt Rule. He's just an incredible coach. 
They signed I, uh, the worst recruiting class in their conference in the early period this year. Yeah, so I I think they're going to struggle. Um, so, so you can yeah. really start two and zero hosting Auburn. And what a what an interesting game that would be. That place would be a zoo, as much of a zoo as the way that stadium's built could be. But if you're riding the wave of the Kiffin momentum uh, into Auburn at home when you're two and zero, I mean I don't. It, I don't know what else is going on that weekend. Let me see if ESPN has that schedule up. I mean, you're talking like that could be the game of the weekend if Ole Miss, if Lane Kiffin really is what the draw would be, is 2-0 hosting a top 10-ish Auburn team next year. Let's see. Week three. That would be week three, right? Yes, that would be week three. So that weekend, you've got Ohio State Buffalo. No, um, man, there are no good games that weekend. Florida State at Boise State. That's interesting. Um, NC State is going to Troy that weekend. That is just bizarre. Who makes these schedules? Never mind. Georgia's at Alabama that weekend. Never mind. Oh, that's a tough one to compete with. <laughs> Never mind. Well, I'll tell you what. That'll be your uh, your two thirty game though, and Ole Miss and Auburn will be at like at yes on ESPN at like seven o'clock that night. Probably that seems like SEC Nation Black will be in Oxford that it. weekend. Yeah, so you'll get the knockoff game day with Feinbaum giving no opinions and chatting on others. So good for Ole Miss. Let's yeah, see. I mean, that could be a sneaky big weekend. Uh, I mean, it really would. I mean, particularly if they're able to win in Houston the first weekend. That is the only other game that weekend, by the way, is Georgia and Alabama. So that that will be the conversation. It'll be those two games. I mean, at Missouri at South Carolina, I guess Arkansas at Mississippi State, nobody's going to care. Um, Southern Cal at Stanford that weekend. But that's not going to move any needle. So that'll be your weekend. There's two college football games that weekend that people will care about, and you'll be one of them. It's pretty big. Uh, I think there's a lot going on in this next question. Is the baseball-basketball redshirt rule similar to football, where you can play roughly 33% of the games and still retain your redshirt? Asking for players like Sean Robinson and JRP that could benefit from some games this year. No, don't believe so. Nope, it is impossibly stupid, but that's what the NCAA does, is they have no foresight whatsoever, and they created a redshirt rule for football but did not apply it to their other sports. It makes no sense because players would benefit just as much in basketball or baseball or softball or whatever as the football players do, and they just ignored it somehow. So I think it being a money-making sport in football probably – uh, probably prioritizes it a little bit too. No, well, basketball is the one that makes the NCAA all their money. Yeah, I guess that's true. But in terms of like the NCAA is the schools and the foot like football making the schools. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I mean, that's money drives everything. I just I can't believe when they were sitting in that room making up this rule, they thought or they didn't think to apply it to the rest of the sports. I mean, what would it hurt? It would only help these student-athletes that they claim to care about so much. So what's the holdup? I mean, why not? Yeah, I've never even really thought about it like that. Good question from Jacob Robin. Yeah. Is there really no cheering in the press box from a Twitter account called a poor man's Taft with 
a month. I don't understand the internet, man. Is this supposed to be a spoof of like President Taft? Because there is a big mustache. He's a fat guy that got stuck in the bathtub, right? Dude, well, I mean, this guy's followed by uh, like a few people that I know. So, uh, is there really no cheering in the press box? Uh, yes, that is the case. <laughs> in colleges, it's interesting, and I've, I've, I may have gone on this rant too, and I'm not sure anyone cares, but I do find this fascinating. So, college. Also, obviously, a very different media contingent from professional sports. But, like, college, I mean, to be honest, you have fans sitting up there openly cheering in the press box all the time. The Ole Miss media contingent has it. You can probably guess who it is. Uh, Mississippi State definitely has it. A lot of schools have it. I would say most schools, to some degree, have just dudes covering it who are alums who really, like, would probably prefer to be drinking beer in the stands, but it is their job and they like it. And, I don't necessarily hate that. I'm not going to be the old newspaper guy. It's like, this is bad for journalism. I don't really mind it. It is annoying, though, when particularly when Ole Miss is on road games and you have people cheering because they sit all of us together. So when you have people like cheering or getting disgusted when something bad happens and everyone looks over at us when they're loud and like we're a pack of zoo animals because we all look like idiots when it's really only one or two people. Um, but I do find it interesting because would the – brief amount of time I spent uh, covering Major League Baseball, the thought of that is just, like, it's so different. The thought of that is just wild. Like, I was trying to exp- – this was the, in the end of the heat of all the Ole Miss NCAA investigation stuff, and I was trying to uh, – I was trying to explain to them the Mississippi media contingent dynamic and how you have people writing books and slinging dirt and all that. And largely short, they didn't necessarily believe me. It was too outlandish for them to believe, and I had to, like, show them receipts. So, uh, I guess moral of the story here, college and professional media contingents, way different. Yeah, and I know people make fun of it, but, th- I mean, that would drive me nuts, man. Like, especially for the, the schools themselves, uh, because, as you know, um, we're not giving you a free ticket to the game. Yeah, you're there to work. You're there, supposedly, you're there to work. And if you can't control yourself, you probably shouldn't have the... Like, I, I don't mind if people are, are homers that cover teams. Like, I don't. Because there's a market for that, too. There are people that want you to pump sunshine and rainbows up your ass. Like, there are people that actually want that covered. So there's a market for it. There really is. But if you cannot control yourself in that kind of setting and not, like, openly cheer or get disgusted, then you probably shouldn't even have that kind of a platform where people expect you to be a fan even uh, i mean that that's a, a lack of self-control that is astonishing to me i just don't see i don't i think i've, I've been on record well i think college sports are kind of like I, I i get why people enjoy them i think they're kind of silly particularly football because i think the playing field is so imbalanced and I, I don't find it enjoyable to like get invested in so I don't know. Like my perspective, I don't think you can actually like I don't think you can do your job to the best of your ability if you're emotionally invested in the outcome of a game. In my opinion, that's just my opinion, but again, there is a market for it to some people. Some people want sunshine. Some people want you to want the team to win. So, I you know, I guess different strokes for different folks. It definitely bucks the uh big J journalism norm and makes a lot of old people cranky and angry, but it was fascinating to go from a college environment to a professional sports environment where like 
that's not even really a thought that crosses people's minds. Like they don't even really have to say no cheering in the press box like they do before every college football game. Like it just it just doesn't happen. You're there to do a job and go home. Anyway, uh, we got one more question, and then we'll get to Greg's picks in the Super Bowl. New allegations of college basketball and football programs paying players seem to come up all the time. Uh, yes, water also wet. Why do we never hear of any allegations in baseball programs? Because <laughs> baseball ain't making anybody any money, man, and they don't offer full scholarships. Yeah, it, it's, there's just not enough. It's not important. And I, I know this upsets people around here, but all the time you see, especially these off-season polls and stuff, they're like, what would you rather have, a trip to the SEC championship or a baseball national championship? And when people say baseball national championship, I think you're insane. Baseball doesn't move the needle at all anywhere. I mean, anywhere. The College World Series gets outrated by the Women's College World Series. It is not a blip on anybody's radar. I know people around here care about it, and I appreciate that. But you would much rather always a trip to the NCAA tournament and get beat in the first round than you would a trip to Omaha. Always. Because there's actually real money in basketball. There is not real money in baseball. In fact, going to Omaha costs your program more than it would usually otherwise. There is no value in baseball, even at a place like Ole Miss. And I've said that before, and people have gotten very upset, and then I show them numbers, and then they don't understand that baseball doesn't make any money. I know we care about it here, and that's awesome. But it doesn't move the needle. It doesn't make any money. It is not important. Football and basketball should be put— well, football should be on a planet of its own, and then basketball a pedestal on its own, and then everything else underneath it. Also, the kids in in baseball, the baseball recruiting is so different, and it's also archaic. Everything you said is absolutely true. But also at the same time, even if this were the case, like the kids you want to pay money to could just go take a couple million dollars from from a baseball baseball (laughs) program legally and go pro. And just the, the actual recruiting like dynamics of college baseball are so archaic. Like, you know, there, there's still a gentleman's agreement in place that is still strictly followed. That once a kid commits to a school, the other schools stop recruiting him. Like in college baseball, that is still followed like almost religiously. Uh, and like, which it, is it just, so stupid, by the way. Yeah, but like, it's just the way. Like, it, I guess it's just kind of underscoring how different it's just the way it is. Like, like. So I, I mean, the, the we we gave a lot of reasons here, but obviously the main reason is if the kid if the kid you want to pay money to is that good, he's probably signing with the Baltimore Orioles for more money than you could ever conjure up. Uh, I don't think any college football crew has ever been paid uh, three point five million for their services, have they? Uh, no, I don't believe so. Uh, someone check on Leo Lewis, but aside from that, I don't think so. But point being. Those kids in baseball can sign their name and get about four or five million if they're good enough. So that yeah. is uh that's probably why. That is all of our questions. We appreciate everyone participating in the People's Holiday. It's Super Bowl time. It is the final LB's pick'em time. We kind of delayed this. We got fifty minutes in the podcast without doing too much Super Bowl stuff, but that's okay. Hopefully it'll keep people listening. Uh I'm fascinated by this matchup. Because you have one of the most complete teams in the NFL, and maybe one of the more complete teams we've seen in the last little bit. Uh, and then you have one of the greatest, probably the next great generational quarterback, maybe com- becoming one of the greatest of all time in Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, I think the key to stopping Mahomes is you get pressure without blitzing. And if there's a team in the NFL that can do that, it is San Francisco. I don't even know where to lean here. 
Well, I do. I think I know where to lean here, but this is such a fascinating matchup because this could go so many different ways. Because San Francisco could keep the ball for eight minutes at a time; they could run it without Kansas City being able to do anything and keep Mahomes off the field, and that's how you beat Kansas City. To whereas, if this turns into a track meet, I'm probably favoring the Chiefs. What are you thinking here? Um, I, I'm leaning San Francisco, even though I don't want them to win. I said on the radio show yesterday, I have a carefully uh, planned out take on the Chiefs if they win. And so I hope I get to <laughs> to bear that out. Um, I want them to win. I want Andy Reid to win. I like him. I think uh, if anybody in the NFL is a good person that deserves to win a Super Bowl, I think it's him. And I really like Patrick Mahomes and the way he goes about his business and carries himself. And this year everybody got so wrapped up in Lamar mania that they forgot that there's a more skilled, more talented quarterback in Kansas City and yeah, this was, brief idea that Patrick Mahomes wasn't the greatest quarterback in the NFL was pretty funny. And it was hilarious. And people just forgot about him. And I, I like him a lot. I want them to win. I don't think they will, though, because if you look at the last, I don't know, 10 Super Bowls, the better defense has really been the difference. And I believe that belongs to San Francisco. So, Yeah, I think so, too. I, I mean, San Francisco's defense is unbelievable. I mean, you talk I – mean, all the – DeForest, Buckner, Bosa, you name them on their defensive line. If they're able to get after Mahomes without them having to bring extra guys, I'm interested to see what Mahomes does because I think it's going – if that's the case, and I think it will be, I think Mahomes, for Kansas City to really have a chance in this, and I, this sounds crazy, is going to have to play the game of his life. And he's capable of it. I mean, the, the playoff run he's been on is just insane. As much as we crapped on Bill O'Brien in the Texans game – as bad as that was, it was probably more so about just how ridiculous uh, Patrick Mahomes and that Kansas City team what like played it after getting down twenty four nothing. The same thing in the Titans game. I mean, there's a there's a feeling of helplessness when the Chiefs play offense that I haven't had like watching another team play offense in quite a while. Even when the Rams were at their peak last year, and even the Ravens this year, I didn't feel as much as. When Kansas City has the ball or when they've had the ball in these playoffs, it feels like it's they're scoring, and if you hold them to a field goal or somehow get a punt every three or four drives, you're doing pretty damn good. And I don't remember the last time an NFL offense has made me feel that way at all. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a funny way to look at it. I mean, it really is. I mean, what the, I, there's some stat, and I can't – I don't have it in front of me right now, but the, the percentage of – drives in the playoffs that they've scored touchdowns on is something just absurd that will make you laugh but like i mean i guess i experienced it from a different angle because i was rooting for the titans in the afc title game but there really is a feeling of helplessness i mean that you're not getting them off the field but if there's a defense that can at san francisco and then how does this like if san francisco wins the super bowl right it's because they ran the ball for a bunch of yards yeah pretty much because, I mean, you're keeping Mahomes off the field. What they did to the Packers rushing the ball, and I think Kansas City has a better defense than Green Bay, was just absurd. I've never seen a rushing game that dynamic. And they, they lost uh, what's-his-face and didn't miss a beat. Freeman. Mm-hmm. They're like, right, we'll just give it to Moster 25 times. And it worked perfectly. So, I'm going to go San Francisco here. Though I think, I mean, I, I, at the same time, I'm going to look up at it and be like, idiot that picked against Mahomes. No, man, there's no right or wrong call here. They're, as you said, they're both so evenly matched that, no, there's no hindsight on this one. 
I mean, it's just you have to pick your poison. And and I, I'm hedging, man. Like, my heart's in one place and my mind's in the other. So either way, I win. It's pretty nice. I'm looking forward to this, though, because despite the lack of the hype, the matchup is going to be awesome. Like, because they play in such different ways. They're both so dynamic offensively in different ways, and they both – Kansas City's defense is better than it's being given credit for because they suck so bad against the run at the beginning of the year. And then – like San Francisco's defense has potential to be all time special over the next little bit. So without further ado, Greg's pick, Greg is going with the 49ers. So lock it in San Francisco. I guess they could technically lose because I think it's one and a half, but he said San Francisco plus one and a half is what Greg is going with. One last time LB's pick them, make more money from Greg and then go thank him by going to buy some of his meat. Uh, University Avenue across from Kroger. It's got steaks, custom cuts, daily specials, plate lunches. They've got uh, baseball game packs getting ready to go. You've got the ribeye sausage, Swayze sausage. He's got all kinds of stuff. Uh, Greg's got so much good stuff in there. You really need to go check it out. It's the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Appreciate Greg sponsoring the show. Wish we could have had him on today. Hadn't talked to Greg in a, uh, in a couple weeks. But this is the last time Greg's going to be able to make you money during football season for a while. He'll be back at it next year, but go see him, University Avenue across from Kroger. Maybe see if he knows anything about college basketball. Never actually ask Greg that. Maybe he could give you a college, some March Madness locks while you uh, while you put some stuff on the grill this spring. Who knows? But for Super Bowl Sunday, if you're in the area, go check out Greg at uh, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. I think uh, you got any more Super Bowl thoughts? Like I, I was going to give like this preview breakdown, but like I don't really have much. I think. San Francisco wins if they keep Mahomes off the field and run it like they did against Green Bay, and if it turns into a track meet, I'm probably not betting against Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, pretty much. No, I'm, I'm with you, unless you want to give uh, uh, an over-under on the national anthem. Oh, what is it at? Um, I don't know, actually. Let's see. So, for those of you that don't listen to our radio show, and I'm not necessarily sure what the overlap is on that, uh, we, had, we had our resident Sharp uh, Lee Sterling come on yesterday. And Dude, he started. nailed the national anthem last year by the same uh, reasoning with uh, he, his daughter's a singer, and she analyzed whoever sung it last year and nailed it. It's one minute or two minutes, one second. Well, you're burying the lead here. Like, if the national anthems go over fine, give the people the free pick. But then he started talking about props that involved butt cleavage. <laughs> So apparently there's props. The second he said it, that, I was like, Lee, what the hell are you doing, man? Yeah, I was like, where are we, where are we going today? Are we, are we going off the rails fully? And apparently you could bet on whether – who is it? Do you, who uh, is the person? Uh, Jennifer Lopez or um, – oh, hell, uh, Shakira. Yeah, apparently you can bet on them either showing or not showing cleavage and butt cleavage. I don't even – like, what is the – I mean, I, I get that it's probably a little bit of a, uh, a kind of like a joke type of thing. I mean, that's kind of a strange, strange, even just joking prop. Like, what is the what, dude? It's what, even I, deeper than that. It is. How do you cash here, on that the, bet? What is the rule? Like, what's the line there? The bet online um, prop on this is who will show cleavage during the halftime show. Both minus two fifty. Jennifer Lopez only plus two fifty. Shakira only plus two fifty. Neither plus 500 will either one of them twerk during the halftime show yes is plus 175 no 
is minus 260. And then here's the butt cleavage one. Yes is plus 250. No is minus 400. I mean... Will they kiss during the halftime show? Yes is a plus 700 if you think that they're going to kiss each other. I don't even really know where to go with that one. Also, how do these not get ruined by someone telling them that it's there and being like, hey, like I'm going to bet a bunch of money on this. If y'all two could just uh, kiss real quick, like I'll give you some of the profit. Yeah, like one of these is, will Joe Buck speak Spanish? And no is minus 1,000. Yes is plus 500. So, I mean, hey, Joe, I've got 500K on yes. Will you slip a little like a Yeah, hit me with the coma estas. Yeah. Yeah, so I, 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 I honestly even uh, like I've never actually gotten into the Super Bowl props. It's just not really my thing. I think I have friends that do it, and like they have these like I the years we watch the Super Bowl in college, they have like these huge long like lists on paper of the things they bet on. I'm like, how can you enjoy the game if you're rooting for literally 17 different things to happen at one time? But uh, one of the great American traditions, I find it hilarious, but. I think that's all we got for today, unless uh, unless you got something else. I think that's it, man. So uh, you're out of town this weekend, too, aren't you off beginning of next week? Yep, so I won't be back until Wednesday night. Nice, nice. You're headed back home, aren't you? Yep, just got to take care of some stuff for a few days. I hear you. I am headed to Fort Worth this weekend. It is the last weekend. I don't have anything in Oxford for like six or seven weeks, I think, because you got basketball next weekend, then four at least four straight weekends of baseball after that, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, both uh, heading out of town today. So it's just going to – no, you're on the show today. I was about to say, it's just going to be the Hey Dad and uh, Richard Richard show today. But uh, That would be so, fun. Yeah, that would uh, that would be quite interesting. So we, uh, we got that from 3 to 6 today. Please tune in. We appreciate you participating in another Mailbag Friday. We'll be back at it next Friday. But, of course, we'll have Super Bowl reaction. All kinds of stuff on Monday. Sure, plenty to talk about from the big game because I was informed yesterday you're not allowed to say Super Bowl. Not in any marketing anything at all. Like, we can call it Super Bowl, but if we were like, hey, uh, make sure you go to whatever one of our local sponsors are uh, for the Super Bowl, that we would get in trouble for that. Interesting. Ah, well, hey, guess what? Make sure you go to LB's for the Super Bowl. Come cuff me, Goodell. So we'll see what we'll see what happens. We'll see if I'm uh, see if I'm not in the slammer or not on Monday. Uh, so if there's no Monday podcast, the NFL arrested me. But if you like what you heard today, like and subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, uh, tell your friends about the podcast, and we appreciate you listening. And one more time, go by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go let Greg make your Super Bowl Sunday better. It's awesome. He actually texted me this morning saying I needed to come by there and try some stuff. I agree. I just hadn't been by in the last couple weeks. So we appreciate you listening, and we'll be back at it on Monday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.